who made the stars and formed us from the dust. Your plans are over ours and all your ways are love. The psalmist says, praise the Lord my soul. Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters. 
He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. Well, folks, welcome to worship this week. I hope you liked the little intro there. It's such a beautiful song taken from the Psalms and reminding us of the love and the goodness and the creativity of God. It's good for us to be here. It's good for folks at home to be joining us online, for when we come together in Jesus' name, we do so in the promise that he is with us. Now, this morning, I thought I'd have a little, very, very short quiz with you, see if you can identify a sound. And if you know the sound, don't shout out. Please don't shout out. You Maybe just stick your hand up if you recognize what the sound is. And if you're at home, you can have a think as well. So if we click the next slide and hear the sound. seeing any hands. One hand up in the gallery. Click it again. Let's have another listen. Well, there's not many in the, in the church building got that one. One in the gallery. Wonder if folks at home got that. It is the transporter sound from Star Trek. Remember in Star Trek, they go on the transporter pad and they they, they, they're dematerialized on the ship and they appear, they appear later either on another ship or usually on, on some other planet. And that's the sound. It's a process called dematerialization in Star Trek. They beam from one location to another. They are uh, dematerialized and then reconverted into matter. Rematerialized. And of course in the TV program and in the film Star Trek, that was a very convenient way for the producers of the program to get the crew of the Starship Enterprise onto new worlds without having to film expensive shots of the ship landing and taking off again. And they, come up, they came up with this dematerialization on the transporter. So using the transporter in Star Trek, the molecules of people or cargo would be dematerialized one place and rematerialized in their desired destination. And almost every time the transporter is used in Star Trek, it's preceded by the word energize. Captain Kirk, of course, was always also famous for saying, two to beam up or beam me up, though he never never once said, beam me up, Scotty. Always preceded by the word energize, usually. And whether it's spelt with the American Z or the British S, energize means to invigorate or to make energetic. And that's certainly what happened to their molecules. They became very energetic and were transported across space. It also means to supply with energy to turn on the power to something, to energize. There's a mic of battery that uses that very word, energizer. All summed up in this one word, energize. And so we might describe last Sunday, which was Ascension Sunday, and this Sunday, which is Pentecost Sunday, we might describe both these Sundays with the word energize. For at the Ascension the risen Lord Jesus, having appeared several times to the disciples and hundreds of other people, finally left the earth and returned to heaven. Jesus disappeared from the view of the disciples and ascended to his Father. And then having been told to wait for the Holy Spirit, on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Easter, the disciples were energized by the coming of the Holy Spirit, who came in the sound of a mighty wind, as the psalmist says, and appeared like tongues of fire, flames of fire. The Lord, the psalmist says, is clothed in splendor and majesty. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. So this is our Energize Sunday, Pentecost Sunday. Let's pray. Lord our God, you are the source and the giver of all good things. 
And this morning as we gather in worship, we gather to thank you for all your mercies and for your loving care over all creation. We bless you for the gift of life, for your protection around us, for your guiding hand upon us, for your steadfast love within us. And as we offer our worship this morning, so too we offer ourselves and we offer the giving of our money that we do here and in other ways, that we may fully engage in the ministry and the mission to which you call us, your church. Our God, we thank you that today you speak to us through your written word. So give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's hear that story of the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't those who are speaking Galileans, then how is it that each one of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Isn't it interesting, the parts, not the whole. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and, and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, oh, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourself know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realms of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. 
Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses to it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and believe, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. May God bless us this reading of his holy word to his name be the praise and glory. We listen and at home we sing, Come Holy Ghost, our hearts inspire.
pray. Almighty God, your Son promised his disciples that he would be with them always. Hear the prayer that we offer for your servants now met in General Assembly and for the new moderator, Jim Wallace. May your Holy Spirit rest on them in the Assembly Hall and in homes across the country and indeed in different parts of the world. A spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and power, a spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Grant them vision and courage, unite them in love and peace, teach them to be trustworthy stewards of your truth. Bless what will be right and forgive what will be wrong. So guide them in all their doings that your kingdom may be advanced, your people confirmed in their most holy faith, and your unfailing love declared to all the world through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. After many, many months of staying home and getting out, and in staying home again and living with these patterns of restrictions, many of us are eager for these times to fully end. The end of carefully accounting for the distance between our bodies, the end of closed businesses and shut church buildings, the end of illness and suffering. We want it to be over. Every bit as much as here in Scotland, we want the sectarianism and the anti-Catholic bile that's recently polluted our streets to be over. And yet, the phased loosening of stay-at-home orders makes the coronavirus no less deadly and its impact on our social and economic well-being no less devastating. Jobs that have been lost will not suddenly return or become safe again. Loneliness will not quickly evaporate. Racism against people of Asian descent will not magically end, and the lives lost will remain lost. I heard a startling figure this week on the news that the World Health Organization estimates somewhere between eight and nine million people have lost their lives because of this virus. Our collective trauma lives on. As we move here in Scotland down through the various levels, from level four to level zero and beyond, hopefully, over is at best a misstatement and at worst a privileged denial of COVID-19's devastation on our and other people's lives. Even on the far-off day when we will grocery shop with ease and host large groups without concern, even sing when we gather with others, the trauma and the grief for many will not be over. We read that after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, the disciples could taste the longed-for end to their persecution and oppression. Would the kingdom now be restored? What was all of this for, if not to end the suffering? Didn't the resurrection of Jesus finally settle it? How could anyone now deny Jesus' divinity? Could this mean that the fight against the powerful Roman occupiers and the Jewish religious leaders was finally over? Before his ascension, his energized moment, Jesus instructed the disciples not to leave Jerusalem. They were to wait there for the promise of the Father. And over the previous three years or so, and even in the days following Jesus' resurrection, the disciples had questions. 
which Jesus answered, although usually in some elusive or unsettling way. They wouldn't get the certainty that they longed for, but they would receive the Holy Spirit. And so after Jesus ascended to the Father, after he left them, the disciples, in a sense, hunkered down. They stayed in a place in Jerusalem and they prayed. It's hard not to see our own experience with staying in place over these many, many months alongside that of the disciples. For much of the time, we have not had the certainty that we long for either. Scripture and prayer and faithful practices don't lead us to answers about viruses or personal protection or economic instability. The awful, sometimes deadly virus that has plagued our world is still very much here. We see its devastating effects in other countries and sadly in different parts of the UK and even in our own country, most recently in Murray and still in Glasgow. Even our General Assembly of the Church of Scotland, which had to be cancelled last year for the first time in over 300 years, is only able now to meet in a mostly virtual form. A few folk in the assembly hall, most people watching on computer screens elsewhere. And as Prince William, the Earl of Strathairn, who is the Lord High Commissioner this year, said yesterday during the opening session, even the carefully put together program of visits for, for himself and his wife Catherine has had a cancellation because of COVID. Much like the disciples, we still find ourselves somewhat isolated, uncertain, afraid. But it's right here that the Holy Spirit meets us. Unhindered by closed doors in Jerusalem or a pandemic-induced lockdown and restrictions, the Spirit of Pentecost moves through the walls of our homes and our hearts to remind us that we are not alone. One of the things that I have particularly noticed this year in rereading this familiar story, not only is it just parts of Libya near Sardini, is that the place where the, gather, the, the disciples gathered in Jerusalem is described as just that, a place. You might think that given what happened in that place, the wind from heaven, the flames of fire, the tongues of fire, the coming of the Holy Spirit, that that place would have become and remained a place of importance or at least have received the first century equivalent of a blue plaque. But it's just described as a place. Because what became important was not the place, but what happened beyond the place. Scripture and prayer and faithful practice, practices might not lead us to answers about the virus or personal protection or economic instability, but they have informed and shaped our experience as a congregation throughout 2020 and now into 2021 about how to be creative, about how we might meet and engage with one another, of how we might worship and missionally engage and help those living in our community here in Creef. We've done that through our online services, through our prayer times, our coffee times, through alphas, through emails and phone calls, and these limited personal encounters that have been possible. And we've done it through supporting the work of the Cap Debt Centre and the work being done through Creef Connections. All of that is part of it. Last year, in a truncated and virtual General Assembly, our church's theological forum presented an, uh, an important report 
outlining the five marks of mission so that these would shape the radical restructuring of our church nationally, regionally, and locally, scaling back or stopping things that are of no clear benefit to the local church or those in the ministries of the church, and allowing the core missional activity of the church to be our priority. What an important time for that document, that these five steps of mission to be presented. They were prepared long before COVID hit, but they're vital for us now. And in a strange way, the pandemic over the past year, year and more has helped with that task. It's given us new ways of meeting and new ways of doing things, not just in the national life of the church, but also in local congregations like ours all across Scotland. And paradoxically, the closure of our buildings, our place, has in most parts of the country increased our engagement with the communities in which we minister. Regionally, the five marks of mission have informed the new ways of meeting. They've allowed discussions to be held across all our presbyteries with a far greater participation than would ever happen in a physical meeting. Allowing the General Assembly yesterday, for instance, to address the urgency of change, hearing and approving overtures to form three more greatly enlarged regional presbyteries with several more, including our own, to follow soon, bringing well, what used to be 69 presbyteries down to 43 and now 43 presbyteries, bringing people together into just nine regional assemblies and reducing ministries across the country from 12 or 1300 a few years ago down to just 600. 600 people resourcing not individual churches, but networks of local Christian communities across the whole of Scotland. And these five marks of mission have already helped nationally and locally to shape what we can do now and what we should do as we move forward. And they're quite simple. Firstly, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. To do what Jesus told us to do. Proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Secondly, to teach, baptize, and nurture new believers. And so we have to encounter new and different people in order to do that. Thirdly, to respond to human need by loving service. You know, sometimes churches are criticized for being too, too concerned with what's going on in the community and not spiritual enough. But we have to do both. To respond to human need by loving service. Fourthly, to transform unjust structures of society, to challenge violence of every kind and pursue peace and reconciliation. And we've seen that the world is crying out for that. Just think of the Me Too movement or the Black Lives Matter or many other causes that have been presented to us over these past months. And then fifthly, to strive to safeguard the integrity of creation. What we were thinking about last Sunday in our Christian aid service. And to sustain and renew the life of the earth. Already in our General Assembly this year, it's been recognized that what has been important in church life and in the five marks of mission of our church in Scotland over the past year and more is not the place. Not the buildings such as the one in which some of us meet this morning. Not even that beautiful assembly hall at the top of the mound. The place is unimportant. It's what we do in and from our homes, our places of work, wherever and however we encounter others that is important because that, because that is where God is. That's where the Holy Spirit is at work. That's where people encounter and come into a fledgling relationship with the risen Lord Jesus. Moving out of the place in which they had been waiting and worshipping 
and praying, the disciples went out to where the people lived and worked, beginning in Jerusalem and then steadily moving out into the rest of the earth. And so Ascension and Pentecost last year and this year have been and are particularly important for us for they signpost real and radical change. They signpost a leaving behind of former things and an embracing of new opportunities. When Peter rose to speak to the Pentecost crowd in Jerusalem, he did not declare a victory over uncertainty or persecution. Nor did he brush over the traumatic crucifixion and death of Jesus. Rather, he pointed to David's messianic prophecy. I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realms of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. That's a word for us today, isn't it? And Peter is clear that it is Jesus who triumphs over the realms of the dead. It's Jesus who does not leave us. It's Jesus who will not let us be shaken. It's Jesus who brings us hope and gladness. This Jesus knows our fears and uncertainties. This Jesus knows our community's corruption and our complacencies. This Jesus knows the traumas that we faced and will continue to face. And this Jesus, God raised up. In Peter's Pentecost speech and the response from the people, we encounter a Jesus who does not expect us to return to who we were before the pandemic or any other critical life experience. We find a Jesus who meets us now as we are, weary and disfigured from the trauma and the suffering, and invites us to be transfigured by his presence and the presence of his followers. We see a Jesus who beckons us to seek our own healing and to participate in the healing of our communities. We meet a community of Jesus' followers who are seeking mutual well-being and holistic care of one another. And as we continue over a year since we began to be mired in this vast uncertainty and chaos of the pandemic, the story of Pentecost and the beginnings of the church remind us that we can resist the urge to just wipe away our suffering. We continue to endure the ambiguities of an interminable pandemic and its lasting hardships because we are not alone. Loss, grief, even anger has a place in the story of Jesus and his followers and in our story. But we also find comfort in the presence of the Holy Spirit who cannot be hindered and who is always with us. Let's pray. Loving God, you sent your Son into the world that all might live through him. You gave your Holy Spirit to the apostles to empower them to preach the message of your truth. Pour out the same Spirit on your church today that she may proclaim to all people the gospel of the love of Christ till all are gathered into your kingdom and your glory covers the earth as the waters fill the sea. Amen. We sing in our hearts and at home with our voices, Spirit of God, unseen as the wind.
In the Gospel of John, Jesus prays for his disciples in anticipation of the time when he'll no longer be with them. And what is it he prays for? Well, Jesus asks the Father to protect his friends. And whilst he was with them, Jesus protected and shielding the disciples. And later in his prayer, he prays for each one of us. The ascended Lord Jesus continues to pray for us and assure us that his presence will be renewed through the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we pray. Living God and gracious Father, protect and shield us. Living God, protect and shield all whom we love through Jesus Christ our Lord. Living God, your Son now sits in your presence and shares in your glory and honor. We thank you for the promise that his presence shall be renewed for us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Living God, we thank you that Jesus prayed for us and that he continues to intercede for us. We thank you that he continues to pray for us and for our protection. This we pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Living God, we pray for the life of the world. We thank you for all those who in these days continue to protect and shield us, to distribute vaccines, to make sure that people are kept safe. Renew them in heart and soul and mind and strength through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord God, renew us, we pray, and renew the life of the world. For you so loved the world, you gave your Son that we might share in the life of the world to come. Hear our prayer now and always through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as he taught his disciples, so we pray together, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. A final song. If you believe and I believe and we together pray, the Holy Spirit shall come down and set God's people free. So go in peace and may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit rest upon 
us and all creation this day and for the future to come. Amen.